Welcome to Nowhere Close to Famous, where we have extraordinary conversations with ordinary people. I'm your host, Brooke Seal, flying solo on the intro this week. Um, but it's so excited for you to hear the conversation we had with a family member and close friend of mine, Abby Winstead. Josh and I got to sit down with Abby and talk to her about just a wide array of topics from growing up with a parent in the military, wrestling with anxiety, living and working in Haiti, um, and even her kind of career in the public health field. Really fun conversation. Abby shared really openly and honestly, and we enjoyed getting to chat with her, and we're excited for you to hear it. So without further ado, here's our conversation with Abby Winstead. Abs, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. I'm so excited. You made it. Thanks for sitting down and chatting with us. Um, yeah. I'm so stoked. Lots of fun questions. So we should probably just just dive on yeah, in. Yeah, let's do it. Um, so for the listeners that don't know, we're related, which is yes. how I bamboozled you onto the podcast. Um, so our my dad is your mom's brother. So that's how yes. we're related. So I wanted to set you up because I, I think you'll tell it better than I will. Um, oh but to start okay. out, um, growing up together, we had a family tradition called Christmas at the farm. Okay. And it's kind yes. of like infamous amongst our friend group because we talk about it all the time because of the impact it's had on us and what it means to us. So explain from your vantage point, like walk us through what Christmas at the farm is. <laughs> okay. So uh, for those of you who don't know, we are from... Mississippi, and we are as Mississippi as it comes when it comes to our roots. <laughs> so our great-grandfather was a dairy farmer, and after he was no longer alive and all the cows were sold, we still had the dairy barn. So that was transformed into Christmas at the barn, like the stall. So all of, all of the family comes down, usually the Friday before Christmas, and we come down at like dusk, and we all crowd into this tiny, tiny little stall. And you know, as people get married and grow larger than toddlers, it gets a little more cramped. Yeah. But we cram in every time. And all of like the, the sun has gone down, so all the lights are off. And it's kind of just this really peaceful, it's my, I talk, I'm talking silly about it, but like it really is my favorite part of our Christmas tradition because Thanks. the Christmas story is what Christmas is about for our family, especially. And so. Totally. We grandkids take turns reading Luke 2. And in recent years, our granddaddy has added his little sermons at the end. And we sing Christmas carols following that. And then we go up to the little house is what we call it. And um, feast on all of the unhealthy Christmas things. Just good Southern food. Oh, yeah. I feel like it would have been a miss to have a barn and not and celebrate not the birth of baby Jesus in <laughs> the barn. Yeah. Hay bells and yeah. all, man. Yeah. I mean, we theologically. Even, one yeah. year, we were in Disney World at Christmas. That's right. And the all of us, like like all yeah. of us, like the whole went to fam. Disney for Christmas. And we did not skip the tradition. We have pictures of all of us crowded into one hotel room. And <laughs> Which was, was about Molly's the size turn of... to read yep. Brooke's littlest sibling. Yep. Um... So we do not skip it. It is everyone's favorite. Or Although least, it really is special. Yeah. I, I feel like that that does kind of defeat the purpose, though, to celebrate in a hotel room where <laughs> there is no room at the inn. 
You can't be in an inn and celebrating that like <laughs> We should have at least stood outside. That's a very I've never large thought, part. I have never thought of that. <laughs> That's a very big That's part true. of the story, guys. So I guess the tradition did break at one point. Yeah, totally. We missed it did. Year. Man. Granddaddy's gonna be so upset when he like listens back to this. He's, he's gonna like, like Oh man. Yeah, he's gonna be so sad. Um but yeah, I love that. I love that our family gets to dive into that tradition every year. I feel like we're a very sentimental bunch. Um, so there's more and more tears every year we do it. <laughs> uh, and Granddaddy's little sermon at the end gets a little longer. And but we still <laughs> we still listen to uh, without fail. We always sing Silent Night. Okay. Acapella. And then we listen to it. It used to be an eight track tape until like literally like only five years ago. <laughs> we switched to we switched to a CD. Um, <laughs> we still haven't gone to streaming platforms. Um, we listen to Mary, did you know? Oh yeah, oh, yes. classic. So now it's a running joke in our family. Anytime you hear Mary, <laughs> did you know? You have to sing it, like yeah. we sing it. Yeah, uh, which will not be happening on the platform today. <laughs> yeah, thank goodness. And all the listeners said, "Amen." Amen. <laughs> yes. Oh man. Okay, so another question I wanted to um, have you share your perspective on, um, just selfishly, is so. Obviously, growing up together, we are only a few months apart in age, and so grew up going to school together, all those things, went to the same college, but you had a very different college experience than I did, at least starting out. So you rushed and were in a sorority, which is how you, like, made your friends, and then through that, I made my friends through you. You're welcome. So I wanted to ask you, (laughs) thank you, yeah, I'm putting this out for the, for whoever listens to this out in the world, Abby is the only reason I had friends in college. (laughs) That's on recording. Um, But explain your perspective on fraternity sorority life, especially at an SEC school and the pros and cons of that and how it shaped kind of like your social experience at college. Yeah. So I regret nothing about rushing. I mean, I think or going through recruitment, I think is what you're supposed to say now, but it was still rushing when we went through. (laughs) Um, So I was a Chi Omega at Mississippi State, and I really do regret nothing about it. I think the stereotype is out there for a certain reason, and yes, sorority life is, you can make it as terrible as it sounds to fit the stereotype, (laughs) but luckily we where the Lord just totally blessed that. And the friends that I made, I would not have made had I not rushed. So our college friend group still to this day, there's like 12 of us that are still super tight, super close. Our group message still goes off like continually throughout the day. We all admittedly, <laughs> whether we say it or not, have to mute it at, at times um, yeah, because mine, it's continual. On I mean, like it just is and you catch up when you can, but um, I wouldn't have those friends had I not rush because my personality coming into college was admittedly kind of shy. Yeah. I don't know that shy is the right word, but compared to now, way more shy. So it brought out a side of me that I'm comfortable in my skin and I'm stronger in my faith because of the friends that I met through recruitment. And so you can argue the other side and whether that's a decision you make or not to go to the parties and do all the things. Your just your experience would be much different than mine. Um, but that is one of the reasons that, you know, if you've listened to Brooke's episode earlier in the season, you know, we dragged her out kicking and screaming to come out with friends. <laughs> that's so true. 
It's true. That's so true. Um, just because of how busy she was. And so there was finally a point that I was like, you don't have a choice. Come on, come with us. <laughs> and the rest is history. Yeah. yeah. Praise that's, God. That's awesome. I think that even that story too, just points to the power of like finding good friendship and good community. But I think the, um, I think the beauty of that is that there, that was, I would say probably the most influential season in, in your life and in mine. Um, but what were some other kind of impactful moments you would say that made you who you are today? Even like pre-college, post-college, what were some of the most impactful kind of seasons in your life? Or Ooh, even experiences? Okay. Yeah. Um, so I, we grew up, both of us, in homes where we are the typical, grew up Southern Baptist Christian homes. We went to church every time the doors were open. And... I never went through the phase of my life where that was annoying to me or whether I didn't want to be there or um, it was just what you did, you know? And I, so I accepted Christ. um, I think I was in the fourth grade. Brooke and I were in the same fourth grade class also. So shout out to Miss Ricky. I forget about that all the time that we shared fourth grade. I don't know why. That's amazing. Okay. So I accepted Christ then, but yeah. Younger Abby was so self-conscious and so shy, and I refused to do the baptism thing because it terrified me to be in front of everyone. And yeah. Brooke is actually one of the people that I have vivid memories of her coming over for, like, cousin sleepovers or whatever and mm-hmm. calling me out on, like, the, hey, why aren't you getting baptized? You know, like, <laughs> it's, what are you doing? Yeah. Um, but <laughs> I, I didn't listen, clearly. And it wasn't until the ninth grade, summer before ninth grade, I believe, that I got baptized. Mm. And, you know, people always talk about feeling like this huge, heavy burden come off your shoulders and whatever. And I genuinely experienced that um, yeah. at that moment when I decided, okay, I'll do it. Um, you know, the I suffered, not suffered, it's not past tense. It's a continual battle with anxiety. Mm. And Brooke has seen some of the worst of that. Um, yeah it's not a fun battle and it's not a pretty one and it kind of ebbs and flows and it is what it is. Um, I say that to say that the self-conscious and the anxiety leading up to that like middle school season, which is the worst for everybody. Middle school sucks. It just truly is the worst. (laughs) Um, But I was just riddled with anxiety and coming into high school after having finally said, yes, Lord, I will get baptized was like this whole new chapter, this whole new, I got involved in so many more things. I kind of found my niche, my friend group, you know, like things just blossomed because I finally was like, okay, Lord, you know, like, yeah. this is not a big deal. You should have wanted to do this a long time ago kind of thing. So I would say the baptism mark leading into ninth grade was probably that major like life turner, I guess. Yeah. Um, Um, No, that makes sense. Um, I want to circle back to the anxiety thing, but before we go too far ahead, I also want to, I think a big part you would say of your experience growing up and even now as a young adult, as a family member of yours is you have an uncle on the other side of the family um, who has special needs. There might be a, a better way to say that, but walk us through what that was like and how that shaped your view on the world and on that community growing up with um uncle charlie as he's affectionately known yes so he is the best 
uh, hands down my favorite person on the planet. My uncle Charlie <laughs> is 20 years younger than my dad. Oh, wow. So he was a surprise to say the least. <laughs> um, but our family would definitely not be the same without him. And he is genuinely, when I say my favorite person on the planet, that's not an exaggeration. Um, but growing up with him, always around, it kind of immediately puts you in a place where you're forced to learn people are different and that's okay. And people have mm, different needs yeah. and that's okay. You know? And so we grew up around, he goes to like a, a residential place every day. That's called the mustard seed. It's in Jackson. And we love it because we grew up volunteering there and going to see him there and getting to know his other friends that have different disabilities. Yeah. Um, so I really think that's where the Lord kind of put in my heart. Um, just kind of a soft spot maybe for those with different needs, whatever that looks like, whether it's people with disabilities, whether it's people that are in poverty, whether it's people, which I'm sure we'll get to, you know, yeah. in third world countries, whatever, when people have different needs, my heart is kind of the one that's like, okay, I'm, I'm going to go this way and I'm going to figure out what I can do. Um, so growing up with him, did have its challenges, yes. And even now, I still learn about how, like, my grandmother and my grandfather dealt with that diagnosis and stuff before we were around. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah. my whole life, I've known him. It's not, he did, right. obviously, my whole life, Uncle Charlie's been a part of my life. He's just only, like, 20 years my senior versus my dad's age, right. um, which is... Pros and cons of that um, are that we kind of grew up together, which is super fun. Yeah. Um, and he has all kinds of quirks and stuff that we love to tease him about, and he teases right back. Um, and so now we have young ones in the family again, and one of them is named after him. And we've got two more that have just recently joined, and he is like the greatest with them. He loves them so much, just wants to hear all about them. And some of that is a little awkward for him just because he doesn't quite comprehend that relationship, but he wants nothing than to just play with them and love on them like everybody else, but in his own That's way, awesome. which is super cool to watch. That is really cool. Yeah. What would you say if someone were to ask you one thing that you've learned about people that need more help in that way, um, that maybe the world doesn't see rightly if someone hasn't had to love and do life with someone um, that's like your uncle Charlie, what would you say you wish like the world at large knew about that? Man. Ooh, what a question. Um, <laughs> I just wish that they could just spend a day beside them, just yeah. having a conversation with them and hearing the joy that truly is what comes from my uncle Charlie and people just like him. Um, he truly is probably the most joyful person I know. And, genuinely loves the Lord with everything that he has, which is so cool to watch him understand cool. Christ in his own way. Um, yeah. So I really wish that people could just, I mean, I just wish everybody could have at least one conversation with Michael Charlie. I think it would be great. Yeah. I think he could awesome. change the world. <laughs> Maybe let's have too. him on here. We honestly should. <laughs> I feel like, 
he would do so much better than Josh and I would. He's the man. I, I love Uncle Charlie. I call him Uncle Charlie, too. He's not my uncle, but hey. that's what I call him. Dude. Yes, in true Mississippi fashion, we all call each other's aunts and uncles aunt <laughs> and uncle, so it's and, fine. And cuz and all the things. That's awesome. Yeah. So this is our first time meeting, but Brooke yes. tells me that you work in public health, right? Yeah. yeah. Did your relationship with, with Uncle Charlie, did that shape at all your desire to get involved in like the healthcare industry? Um, maybe somewhat, maybe more so of the, I, if you're into the Enneagram, I am a number oh, two yeah. as it comes. Okay. I like am straight up. The servant is what I am always. Um, and so I think that maybe his impact on me was more, I see needs and I want to fill them. Mm, yeah. Um, whether growing up with him, that was helping him do something or as I got older, seeing ways that I could help others in a professional capacity. Yeah. Um, and so I really think that's kind of where it came in. In college, I went through the whole, I was going to do OT school and then I was going to do PA school. And then the Lord was finally like, I'm yelling at you that you need to do public health. And I finally got it senior year. Um, <laughs> it only took me four years, but, uh, once I got really committed to that, it was so evident that that was what I was supposed to be doing all along. I'm going to be completely honest. I don't entirely know what public health entails. Could <laughs> yes. you give us like a... Uh, you aren't alone. Okay, great. <laughs> Could you give us a little tutorial on... Explain it to all us. All that is public health. <laughs> Explain it to us like we're five. <laughs> like we're five. Okay, Michael Scott. <laughs> um, okay, so public health, the best way I know how to explain it is if you think about a doctor's office and okay. a nurse or a doctor, whoever you're going to see, is going to treat just you. You are their primary concern, okay? okay? So they are an individual capacity, okay? Then you kind of like scale way back and you think about um, all of the efforts that are being pushed forth for like community health-driven things. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's a, um, okay, think back when we were younger, it was like, um, the dare tobacco programs, the yeah, don't yeah. Do red ribbon week. Um, I'm saying these because I currently work in substance abuse prevention stuff because cool. they're the top of my brain right now, but it's also going to be like your sex education. It's your, um, if you look even broader, it's going to be, um, the general health and welfare of the people, whether that is income issues, whether it's housing, whether it's healthcare access, it all falls under public health. Okay. Um, and as everyone is probably extremely familiar with now, it's um, things like infectious disease is also under public health. <laughs> um, so it's been a very is, busy season. Is, um, is there an infectious for better, disease? For worse, here we are. Yeah, was, what's a pandemic? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm as ready for it to be over as you are because that means we get to go back to what we are typically doing. Right. Which is like more preventative and less like immediate problem solving. Yes. Yes. Because it's kind of like emergency calling. We need you to write so-and-so right. for publication kind of stuff. It's kind of like big picture, almost like preventive health on a community-based level. Yeah. So it's like, what can That's we exactly in public it. health do? Yeah. To I want to make... look at a community yeah. and say, this is the problem we have. What yeah. can I do at this 30,000 feet level to reduce the number of cases that we're having? Yeah, that's a good way to articulate it. So I've 
I've heard a lot about how, like, if you go to Europe, Europe's kind of medical system is more preventative and our hospital system is more reactive, right? It's like yes. we wait till you get sick and then we treat that and then yeah. that's how we make money and stuff like that. Um, and I would imagine there's pro- probably less money in a preventative system because you have less people getting sick in theory, right? Um, what are your kind of thoughts on that? Like, you know, like – how do we actually get to a place where we aren't being so reactive all the time? Yeah. Um, so the way that America is structured infrastructure-wise, we we are far, far from being able to <laughs> not be reactive. Yeah. Um, yeah. And for better or for worse, I mean, we because we're so reactive, we have the most advances in medicine and we have the most money going into healthcare. And, I mean, they have all of these positive things, but if you flip the coin... <laughs> and look at Europe and countries really around the world that just react differently to different things. Um, you're right, they do have less cases, um, but they, they don't have as many technological advances and they don't have as many um, wins, I guess, in the, in the healthcare world as we do. So it's got its pros and cons, but I, so I guess my answer is more, I, I really don't know the answer to get us to that level. I don't know the yeah. answer. I think it's going to take a whole lot more community level action than just like mandates from different people. Yeah. Um, you know, like I mean, it's almost... going to take Jackson, Mississippi's healthcare system, the hospital system working proactively in the communities. And it's going to take Tarrant County's working proactively in the community. It can't be something it's got to be owned by the people. And so yeah. any change is going to take, everyone being a part of it and the way that America works, that's not generally <laughs> something that we can pride ourselves on. Do you, um, do you think that because we are so individualistic as a nation that mm-hmm. affects the community health? Because it almost sounds like what needs to change is like a mindset shift, like a perspective shift of everyone to say, let's all be preventative in the way mm-hmm. that we approach things. And it's like, America is built on this like idea of like, hey, don't tread on me. Like, you do <laughs> yeah. you, you know, I'll do me, and like land of the free. Yeah, totally. Yeah. You know. Yeah, uh, and there's beauty in some of that, I think, because America is what it is for some of those reasons. Um, sure. But I do. I would definitely agree that it, we are a very selfish society. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything is me, 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 and whatever that means is the result you know whether that's poor health care or super divided classes or all of the issues we're facing in america right now worldwide really at this point are a result of some of that selfishness and that's just it's sin in the world and yeah. we live in a broken place yeah Dang. i think too like the reality of that is we even saw that play out in covid like you would watch the news or listen to the news and see how European countries and their handling of the pandemic looked vastly different mm-hmm. than America's because when they said shut down, everyone was like, okay, that makes sense. I'll go sit in my house, no questions asked. And America yeah. was like, screw you. Like, this is all conspiracy. Don't tell me how to live my life. Yeah. And it became so polarizing because it was individualized of like, well, how dare you like tell me what to do or even ask me to do right. this? And yeah. I think at a root level, it wasn't even about politics or it shouldn't have been. It, it came to be that. But at a root, yeah. it was like, no, this is 
this is me as an individual making this decision. And I think Americans are so afraid of losing that mm. that they don't even make healthy decisions that could actually promote and protect that in a lot of healthy ways. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just the concept of, no, I'm not going to do it because it was your idea. <laughs> <laughs> totally. That's so funny. That's so true. Do you find a lot of that in your work of people being like, mm, nah, I'm all right. Uh, yes. Yes, very much so. Which is funny to me because, okay, so where I grew up, Madison, Mississippi, is just north of Jackson. And admittedly, we are <laughs> the highest income area okay. in Mississippi. And yep, I'm trying to think of ways to say this politely. Um, <laughs> we, we yeah. our personalities embody that. Okay, okay. so... I say our way to articulate that. majority of Madison. I really hope I'm not in the grain of that. Really hope I'm the outlier there. Um, but a lot of people here are the uppity, I'm better than you, nose in the air kind of thing. Um, we don't have those kind of problems. We don't, not in, not in Madison. And um, while, yes, it was a great place to grow up, um, that comes with its with its battles also. Um, so now I work in substance abuse prevention, and Madison County is actually one of the worst mm. areas in the state. Mm. Mm. But no one believes that we have a problem. Yeah. Right. So it's with everything. Uh, I just use that as an example because that's the like daily battle that I fight. Yeah. Um, but it's that that can be with anything, you know. Yeah. We don't have that problem. We don't. We don't need to, that kind of help. Kind of thing is part of America's problem, I think. And if you can't agree on just basic facts, right? Like, yeah. you know, like because because you're in it, and you're thinking, no, no. Like I'm looking at the numbers. Like this <laughs> yeah. is the, yeah. this is statistically a problem. Like there are a lot of people abusing drugs and alcohol. But if no one can agree that those facts <laughs> are right, then I just feel like we're kind of stuck, right? Right. Yeah. I even went to the schools and told them I saw the problem. <laughs> I witnessed it. So I don't yeah. really understand what we're arguing here. You know, so I'll get off my soapbox on that. But yeah. <laughs> it applies to everything with um, just the way that people are today, I think, is I'm more important than everybody else or my family, maybe maybe not just I, but like my right. family's needs are more important than everybody else's or mm. Sure. My community is more important than X, but you know, like you can apply that to anything. And I think that that is a lot of what we face today in all of the disagreements, right or wrong disagreements. That's the root of it. You know, most of us are nowhere close to famous, but it sure feels good when the people that love us most make us feel like a big deal. And a great way to do that is with a gift from Our Spare Change. Our Spare Change creates custom, handcrafted jewelry that's created to specifically tell stories. You could get a special date or a meaningful phrase engraved on their stylish cuffs or even personalize it with a name. And now that it's wedding season, I can't help but think what a perfect gift that would make for a bridal party or a groom or a bride. I think Our Spare Change would be the perfect addition to the wedding season. But they've also got cute earrings and rings, and for the guys in your life, they have tie bars, cuffs, bookmarks, and keychains. We love the Southern California-based company and their passion for telling stories. So let Our Spare Change help you and the people in your life share your story 
by using promo code NOWHEREClose to get 20% off your purchase at OurSpareChange.com. All right, so enough about America and our <laughs> individuality. And our problems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, where else have you spent time working in public health? Uh, so I, in, in college, when the Lord really put on my heart that public health was something I was going to do, um, I wanted to move after college immediately to Haiti, which I had already been going to uh, on the mission field just on like longer, short-term I guess is what I would say, a month, two months at a time over summers in college. And I wanted to go immediately. And the Lord said, no, not yet. Remember that patience thing we talked about? That was another time that he really worked on me. So I listened and I went to uh, get my master's in public health at UNT in Fort Worth. Oh, nice. And so I was there for two years and really struggled with... My anxiety then was not a pretty thing. Um, it reared its ugly head in a way that it had not before. And so that anxiety for me is very, it's physical symptoms. It's total shutdown. Mm. I do not do well. And it, that is when I truly learned really the, the, vast, the vast impact that it can have mm. um, if you let it take hold. And I had definitely done that. I was not mm. involved in small groups like I should have been and community is something I did not have. There were not a lot of believers in my program. Mm. So while I still held firm to my beliefs, I kind of let the, I was still going to church every Sunday, but that was it. Yeah. And that's not enough when you're, that's your relationship with the Lord is what I had let slip. And so Satan took hold and anxiety is how it happened for me. Um, all that to say I graduated from UNT with my master's in public health, specifically in maternal and child health, which is ironic. I spent a lot of my life terrified <laughs> about of this. pregnant women. Mm. Terrified like, of, as in she would see like a seven month pregnant woman in the grocery store and walk the other way. No way. Yes. <laughs> so in my head, in my head, <laughs> it wasn't an irrational fear because <laughs> if I go down the aisle where this lady is pregnant and she goes into labor. I'm the closest thing to her to help. Mm. And that was not what I wanted to do. <laughs> Again, the Lord laughs. And you can't like so, be like, oh, uh, oh I'm it. so sorry. Actually, <laughs> hey, uh, Jenny. Anybody, anybody yeah. else. Yeah, yeah, Ten-year-old, totally. yep, you're up. You know, like <laughs> I, that was just not my scene. Yeah, you can't really. Although, I think just the concept of childbirth terrified me. Yeah, I get that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it um, terrifies me for me personally. <laughs> But I'm not, I'm not scared of pregnant people. Yeah. I feel like there's what? a scenario where you could have been like, okay, hold on. Stay right there. I'm going to go get help. And then you just like <laughs> just bail. Leave. You just like peace you out, you know? Deuces. Yes. Um, I, it probably would have happened had I ever been in that situation <laughs> pre the Lord taking that fear away. So fast forward and the Lord has called me to public health and thank the Lord finally let me move to Haiti. And so this ministry that I worked with, it's But God Ministries, and they're in, based in Ridgeland, Mississippi. And we have two hope centers, is what we call them, in Haiti, in very rural parts of Haiti. So not in the city at all. We are like boondocks. And we also have one now in the Mississippi Delta. I lived in Haiti, well, I served in Haiti 
during college three summers, I think. Two summers? Three? Three. Three summers. Three. Um, really, any time I had a break in college, I was going to Haiti because I loved it so much. Mm. And at that point, I was going back to the same places, so I was really establishing friendships with people and knowing the area, like growing to love not only the culture and everything that I'd already fallen in love with, the people I was like maintaining these relationships with. Um, and so the Lord was so faithful in that and plucked me right out of uh, college, I mean, no, master's graduation mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. put me right into the village that I had been going to for years and years before. That's awesome. Which was amazing. And once I got there, my degree was in maternal and child health, specifically for public health. And had I gone right after college without that degree, I would have been useless. Yeah. So, I mean, he's so faithful in everything he does, but really that was one of the biggest things I really feel like in my life that I can pinpoint going and feeling like I'm utilizing every single skill that I learned. Mm. And had I come prematurely or later, this would not be so fresh on my memory. It would not be something that I feel totally confident that I can do. Um, And so like we talked about earlier with community health, that is what I did. I would look at people coming into our clinic and we, we had, you have to think very, very, third world when you think this when you think clinic and everything you're trying to picture but patients come in and say we have a ton of hypertension high blood pressure coming in from a certain village okay well I load up and go to the village Mm. and I just start asking questions what are you eating like what has changed what has so it's kind of like the best job ever because along the way you get to meet people and hang out with kids on the way and tell about Jesus to everybody you encounter. So, you know, like that really is a, I trade, I would trade nothing for the two Mm -hmm. years that I spent in Haiti. As difficult as it was, um, it hands down best experience for sure. Um, So public health has changed drastically from what I was doing in Haiti and what I'm doing now, but my purpose is still the same. Yeah. You know, I'm still serving in a way that Although I never imagined that this is what I would be doing now, substance abuse kind of stuff, it's still a servant position yeah. of looking at problems and figuring out solutions. Did you find yourself almost being like a medical detective of sorts? Like in those moments, I'm going to say something really dumb for anyone that's actually in like a medical like okay. position. I feel like when you watch like medical TV shows, right, <laughs> which I'm sure okay. is just so not true, right? Like every episode, there's that person that comes in and they're like, oh, yeah, you're here for a standard such and such. And then, you know, something crazy happens. It's like, wait, it's not the thing. And then they spend the whole episode (laughs) trying to, like, figure out, like, okay, was it this? Was it this? And they have all these certain hypotheses. And then at the very end, they realize, oh, my gosh, it was some crazy random thing. They got triggered by this other thing. Right. Um, Yeah. But was that kind of your job in real life? Like you would go to a village and be like, okay, like everyone has this thing. We have to figure out what's triggering hypertension or whatever else it is. Yeah, on all different kinds of scales. So a, a normal, the thing about Haiti that I love, actually, it's also what makes it the most challenging. But the thing that I love is that every day, legitimately, you have no idea what is going to happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You wake up and there are endless possibilities because... Crazy things happen in Haiti. <laughs> it just, 
the number of stories that come out of Haiti that I think now I'm like, what? Like that feels like a lifetime ago. Like it feels like a totally different world and it is. Um, but yeah, so some days it would be, I'd spend all day in the clinic, just interviewing people, talking to people, um, getting to know them, figuring out what community they're from, trying to figure out, is that even near this other one that we think, you know, cause here I can just get on Google and look at the map. Right. No, no, <laughs> not in Haiti. In Haiti, you ask, okay, can you tell me how you get there? And they'll literally give you directions of like, yeah, okay, if you go to this school and turn right at the mango tree and go up the mountain to your right and go over it and stop at the goat farm. I mean, like, it it literally, those are the directions. So, yeah. so a lot of mango times tree, goat farm. Got it. your patience yeah. was tested just because you would go to find a certain person who maybe had not shown up to get their refill of their blood pressure medicine. And I know that it's really terrible. So they send me out to find them. And so you literally are just asking people along the way, like, hey, do you know so-and-so? Great, how do I get there? Hey, do you know so-and-so? And And you just spend all day doing that. And hopefully by the end of the day, you have found them because certain some days that did not happen you would go somewhere and they'd be like no they live on that mountain and you're like <laughs> super <laughs> yeah. that mountain over there yeah. not the one i just hiked but it's fine we'll go do it <laughs> um so but that really was the beauty of i think being the hands and feet of jesus literally yeah yeah because i would take the medicine to them That's and awesome. whatever that meant we would do it um it's just kind of living out the like the basic needs of taking everything back to this is a basic need that this person needs and I'm going to take it to them because I have the means to do it. Yeah. Um, so that was a really cool piece of it. So yes, most of my day was medical detective. Maybe I should, <laughs> maybe I should like to. brand that. You yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, a lot of it also though was like education, health education. Yeah. That's awesome. So I would do lots with our local church, lots with our schools on like things here that you don't really even have to teach, like hand washing. Yeah. I can teach you how to wash your hands. Yeah. I'm a pro at that. <laughs> um, you know, basic needs though that are just not taught how to filter water and use the sun to mm. kill the bacteria. I mean, like there's just a lot of things that I learned kind of on go because yeah. that's what the need was yeah so, totally. yeah i feel like we've been talking a lot recently about you know what our stories are thus far right that like and when we talk about sharing someone's story it feels like oh cool great that's your story but for a lot of us like we had a ton of life left you know when you think about where you've been and more specifically where you're going where do you see yourself the next five ten ten years like where do you hope your story leads you That's a really great question. Um, So when I left Haiti, (laughs) it was not voluntary. Uh, And I don't say that in a negative light. I say that Haiti is in a time of severe civil unrest. And they pulled us out. Mm. Uh, So we were evacuated. I was personally evacuated four times. Oh, wow. uh, In one year. And the last time is I thought I would be just home for a couple weeks, and here I still am. Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> I would love to say that 
not I would love to say, I hope and really pray that I'm wherever the Lord has placed me for that time being. Right now, I'm confident that I'm where I'm supposed to be for what I'm doing. My mission field, I think, is my workplace and what I'm doing there. Um, mm-hmm. And because it allows me to uh, meet and kind of really pour into people all around in our community. And I love that aspect of it. Um, but missions is not off the table for me. Yeah. I love it. It is part of me. Um, and so I hope that one day the Lord calls me to do something like that. But if not, everybody has a mission field. It just may not be a third world country. Yeah. Um, mm. And so I hope that I visit Haiti again. And if the Lord calls me to move back, I would do it. Um, that would really be nice to put that Creole language to use. You know? <laughs> yeah. But if not, and he has me move somewhere totally different or stay here the rest of my life, um, I still think missions is going to be something I do, whether that's short-term, long-term, yeah, somewhere in between. I don't know. All right, y'all, we wanted to take a minute to tell you about our new friends at Golden Ratio Coffee. Brooke, today I poured myself a cup of Golden Ratio. I love that. What flavor did you have? I had the spiced cookie. Oh. And it legitimately tasted like Christmas was giving me a hug. <laughs> it was unbelievable. Uh, and after the year we've had, it it never hurts. I need Christmas to hug me for all the time. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> all totally. the time. <laughs> um, but Golden Ratio is awesome. If you love coffee and coffee doesn't love you back, Golden Ratio is the solution. It's brewed at a lower temperature, which means that it's five times less acidic. So it has. Uh, all the caffeine of coffee, but none of the acidity, and it tastes like Christmas is giving giving you a hug. It's the best of both worlds. It's a win-win. Yes, and the best part is that if you go to drinkgoldenratio.com and use code NOWHEREClose, uh, you'll get 20% off your purchase. The gift that keeps on giving. Absolutely. So again, <laughs> that is drinkgoldenratio.com and use code NOWHEREClose to get 20% off. What are some of your oddly specific love languages? Okay, so I have two that I narrowed it down to. (laughs) Nice. And the first one, I don't think I realized was a love language until I started really trying to think about this question. (laughs) Nice. I, and maybe it's like the Southern hospitality that happens in us. I don't know. I genuinely love helping celebrate different things. Oh, okay. Whether that's like hosting something, whether it's let me come and help you decorate for whatever big event it is. Like I am there. I want to celebrate from like the planning phase to the cleanup (laughs) phase. That's so true. Which I really did not realize was a thing until really and truly I started thinking about this question because in the past month, (laughs) just the past month, I've given a bridal shower. Um, I decorated for a friend's first like their child's first birthday. In the same day, I drove to another friend's baby shower and I just helped with my nephew's fourth birthday party and made his cake. And um, I also, oh, in the heat of quarantine, you know, like when we really were terrified to like literally go out of the house kind of thing. My family, like my immediate family, um, once a month, my mom and I would host... (laughs) I forgot y'all nights. And I kid you not, we decked the house out. We went to Greece. Oh. <laughs> virtually. <laughs> Hawaii. 
Mexico. And they their whole house was decorated for like the four of them. That's oh, amazing. Yes. I'm like, I'm dressed for the event. I am here for the party. It was legit. So quarantine. I really think hosting events is a special, like if you call me and say, hey, I want to throw a party for so-and-so's graduation. I'm like, say no more. I'll make a list. I'll make the Pinterest board. I've got it. <laughs> and yeah. here we are. That's so true. Well, you're yeah. welcome for helping you put words to that. Yeah. So, but I love it. It's so fun. Uh, but the second one, um, I think is funny because I really love early morning, like coffee time. Okay. Like, which is funny because if anyone listened to Haley's episode, she talked about <laughs> how she loves to nap together, uh-huh. <laughs> yep. which is absolutely true. I love the coffee that happens right after the napping. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, true. so like my ideal time is like early morning, like sun's just coming up. We're all still in our pajamas, sipping on coffee and the chats that happen. I'm not around during that. She, Brooke is never around her. I'm not around her. (laughs) I know my limits. (laughs) That is true, though. That's, yeah, you're you're self-aware. Those are definitely, those check out. That's awesome. What's your your go-to party story? (laughs) So, as you can imagine, living in Haiti, there are many. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, And I really had a hard time. (laughs) If I... I'm showing it for our listeners. You can see this list that I have narrowed it down to. <laughs> That's okay. hilarious. There's like There's eight things on, on our list. list. Yeah. Eight things on your list. I won't share eight. List. Have no fear. Yeah. Your top um, one. Ironically, if you listen to this whole thing, congratulations. But mm. you heard me talk earlier about how I was really terrified of pregnant women. <laughs> well, one of my main roles in Haiti was actually helping deliver all our babies that came. Oh, no way. And... Yeah, so that's the Lord totally delivered ma- me of that fear. That's what you do in maternal and child Childbirth child no longer scares me because I've front and center a lot of times at it now. But uh. um, a lot of these stories are baby-related, <laughs> as I am looking. Four of them yeah. on the list are crazy baby stories. Um, but I will share the time that... <laughs> so it was storming in Haiti, which rarely happens... It's super hot and dry there, but it was storming this night. And when that happens, I don't know if you know, there are uh, tarantulas that live in Haiti. That's just... A, oh, my gosh. It's just there. It just it is what nope. it is. And they really don't ever really bother you that doesn't unless matter. you bother them. That doesn't matter. That <laughs> so doesn't I really... I'm not scared of them. I'm not... Because I know that they kind of stay in their own lane. Like, they're not going to come do anything to you unless you provoke them. Okay, so we're in the delivery room. This sweet mama is like, she's very young. And so I've stayed in there with her the whole time. Uh, Because the really young ones, the first babies, you stay in there the whole time. So I've been in there. We've been chatting in my broken Creole. um, And she's getting close to time for delivery. And our nurse practitioner, who let me preface by saying, I do not have a nursing degree but we always had medical. I was just extra hands for future <laughs> reference for anyone listening. I was has just a extra hands. Just extra hands. Yeah. Anyway, so we're. It's time to have the baby, and the nurse practitioner looks up at me and says, "Abby, I need you to stay calm." So Uh-oh. you immediately your heart starts racing. Totally. I mean, like yeah. that's just the worst possible way to make <laughs> right. me calm is to tell <laughs> yeah. me to stay yeah. calm. Right. He says, 
you have a tarantula that is about to crawl onto your foot, but you cannot move because like we're active, like babies, it's coming. There's no time for me to move and freak out. And also that's just going to freak our mom out even more. So we deliver the baby and after it's over and everyone's fine, I look down and this tarantula is on my pants leg. No. Oh, I'd pass out. <laughs> I would so I, I don't remember much other than like it was an immediate like, <laughs> Abby, keep your calm. You totally. have scrubs on. So like it's not like it's on your leg. Yeah. Keep calm. Slowly walk out of the room. <laughs> and I remember as, as soon as I closed the door, it was like an immediate like flinging, flailing. Everything's <laughs> moving. Everything's flying. Our security guards at night are standing on either sides of like the, the breezeway is what we called it. And they are just laugh. I mean, like, it's a show for them, really, at this point, because they're not scared. <laughs> but this tarantula is no more. Have no fear. I took care of it. It's no more. And I composed myself long enough to walk into the delivery room, and our nurse practitioner looked back at me, and I was like, I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you fine. brought a baby into the world and took a tarantula out of it. Yeah, so it evens out, right? Yeah, 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 totally. yeah totally. That's a one to one. And the baby's visitor. sweeter. Oh yeah, oh, hundred percent. And yeah, it'll do cuter. way more for the kingdom than the tarantula would. Have. Uh, yeah, that tarantula didn't have a soul. You're fine. No, yeah. it's yeah. fine. That's You're hilarious. Good. Yeah, it had the audacity to come in. I, I did not provoke it. I forgot so, about that one. That's hilarious. That's awesome. Yeah, but tarantulas are a normal thing. It really was. It just I was not a fan when it crawled yeah. up my pants leg. It's like mosquitoes in Texas, tarantulas in Haiti. Yeah, yeah, totally. Everywhere. So best for last, maybe. Best question for last. (laughs) Um, If you could be famous for one thing, what would it be? So my immediate answer is, like, I really don't want to be famous. Yeah. We've been getting that a lot lately. Absolutely not. We have been getting that But if I were. If you were. If if I were. If I had to be. I really hope and pray that it would be for something about my faith, pointing somebody to the Lord, whether that's writing a book, radical mission kind of life, whether it's public speaking of some, some fashion, I don't know, but I would hope that it would be something that whatever I'm doing is furthering the kingdom, whatever that looks like. Abs, thanks for hanging with us. I'm excited for people to hear it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We'll see you soon. We hope you enjoyed our conversation with Abby. And if you did, the good news is there's plenty more coming your way just like it. So make sure you hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. Another fun way to keep up with us is to give us a follow on Instagram at Nowhere Close to Famous Pod. Um, thanks for listening. Stay ordinary.